Hey team, you're about to experience my interview with co-founder and partner of Immersia, Dave Chaffee. Immersia is an augmented reality platform for manufacturers and retailers. It allows for immersive experiences as customers explore products based on their engagement with the physical product packaging and other touch points as potential customers and existing customers engage with brands and their products. I learned a ton from this conversation, and I hope you do too. Enjoy. This is the E-Commerce Edge Podcast with your host, Jason Greenwood. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. I have another exciting episode lined up for you today, and I would love to welcome Dave Chaffee from Melbourne, Australia to the podcast. Welcome, Dave. Hey, Jason. How are you? Very good, thank you. Now, I spent almost 30 years in New Zealand, and I know that Melbourne, in many respects, has very similar weather to New Zealand. And I know that in Melbourne, there's plenty of Kiwis that have made the move across. In fact, one of my, one of my dearest Kiwi friends married an Aussie girl, and they've lived in Melbourne, I think, for about 15 years now. But you were mentioning off air that you guys are obviously in the middle of winter now, and it's been pretty bloody cold and wet down there, hasn't it? It's been raining for about a week. It's freezing cold right now. I've got the heating on in here, ramped right up, which is the only reason I'm not wearing a jacket right now. <laughs> We're surviving. We're on the other end of the world and other end of the scale from weather from, from you guys. Yeah, absolutely. I was telling you off air that you just reminded me when you were starting to tell me the heater and the rugging up and all that sort of stuff. I remember thinking, yep, yep. I remember back in February of this year when we left New Zealand and it had rained for about eight weeks straight right before we left, that that was a gentle reminder of why we moved to Mexico or one of the reasons why we moved to Mexico. But I might look, ANZ is near and dear to my heart. I still have lots of family and friends in that part of the world. My mom, my sister, brother-in-law, two nephews, they all live in Brisbane. So have been over to Aussie heaps of times for business and pleasure and family. So look, I'm super connected to that part of the world. But what I have always loved, and sorry to interrupt you, what I've always loved is that Kiwis and Aussies have always pu punched above their weight in, in everything from sports to tech to data to retail to almost anything else we can think of from culture kings to everything else. Kiwis and Aussies have always punched above their weight internationally, haven't they? Yeah, and no, I agree with that. And I don't know, I think it might be our prime minister many years ago, an old prime minister said that we're at the arse end of the world, excuse the language. It's the truth that if you go to come out and talk to someone over here, you're making a real effort to get on a, an airplane for 20 hours or the likes of you. So we've got to try harder to get attention. I feel it. And look, the last couple of years for us with COVID too, we were locked down for a, a good year. And, oh, gee, it's been, it's been hard to get attention. We're free now. We're free now here. And yeah. And look, in particular, Melbourne was one of the most locked down. In fact, I think it was the most locked down mm -hmm. city in the world. I think it was something like 210 days yeah. of lockdown in total. So you guys had it super, super rough. And, and now you guys must be bloody relieved to be able to get out and about yeah. and start mixing it up again. Yeah. Yeah. And look, it's tough. And look, we were a startup at that point in time. And we, at that point in time, we've got a product, we've got it to market. We're literally just getting it to customers. And then we're sitting in our homes, Zooming, talking to each other, going, how do I get a conversation started out there? So that was one of the toughest gigs of my life. But yeah, now we're firing. Yeah, I can't stop smiling just on the back of that's over. I won't say it's like getting out of prison. But it, I think it was it, certainly getting out of home detention is probably a better, is probably a better analogy. That's for sure. But look, I, you reached out to me, you shared a post that you had posted to LinkedIn about some of the AR 
and commerce, AI, AR, and commerce technology that you guys mm. have been worked on, working on. And it was super engaging. I loved the post. I loved the content. I loved the video. And I said, look, why don't you just come on to the podcast and tell me all about it? But maybe before we jump into that, how does a guy who goes from being a TV presenter and a, I guess a founding partner of a digital agency, how do you make the leap to what you're doing now, which is Immersia, M-I-M-E-R-T-I-A, AR and VR experiences. How did you make that leap from where you came from? Yeah, that's a really good call. We had a digital agency for about 10 years here. It was a national agency, a very, very performing agency. And I used to think that I knew digital inside out, like there was no one in the world who knew digital better than me. I knew it inside out. But the one blind spot that I had was augmented reality and virtual reality, because I saw it as a gamer's technology and, and nothing more than that. So I blindsided myself for that. We saw, we came across 19 Crimes, which initially, 19 Crimes is a brand of wine that did an augmented reality concept where consumers would scan the front of the bottle and a convict from Australia's past here would come up and start talking and saying, oh, I got traveled across in a ship and it was terrible and I'm a convict and say 10 words. And it was really cool. And it was just really cool. It was the coolest thing I've seen. And looked it up and they increased their sales by around 70% on the back of millions of cases in the US on the back of that campaign. It was just phenomenal success at a time when, you know, maybe 10% of phones could manage augmented reality. It was really remarkable. Just really remarkable. The long story short was, you know, I said to, to Luke, who's my business partner, also my son, but a business partner. And I said, Imagine if you could actually combine augmented reality with data, with content or with data and connect it to products. Imagine, imagine what you could do. And we talked about it and said, that'd be amazing. Anyway, long story short, he's very techie. He's built a lot of enterprise level software as I'm more the marketing guy. He went home that night, spent six hours on a computer, just fiddling and fumbling around. And he came back in the next day and said, look what I've done. And I can't remember exactly what the thing was, but he had a piece of paper, which had something printed on it and he scanned it. And then something came out of the paper and I just went, yeah, imagine if you do that with data. And he goes, I have done it with data. I've done it with it. I've got to change that. And that picture changes, change that. Now it changes. Every time it's scanned it, come up with something different. And I was quite blown away with that and said, you've done that in six hours. And, and so then we looked at the industry and I looked really hard at the industry and how big it was going to get and how much potential there was and how fast it was growing. Yeah, we made a really difficult call. 10 days later, we walked away from the agency that we owned, left it to the staff that, that ran it to take on this industry. And with the idea that AI, all these bits and pieces, they're wonderful technologies and you can do some really cool things, but you've got to do things that make a difference, that, that sort of that offer value to all the stakeholders that have purpose, that have a meaningful outcome and that break down the barriers. And we know this from the digital agency side of things, you can build the best tech in the world, but if people can't get to it or they can't use it or they can't, it offers no value, it's pointless. And yeah, so that's been the philosophy of what we've done ever since. And we've developed a lot of pieces and we've got a few bits and pieces in market and all of them rolled around those pillars. And yeah, it's been a journey aside from the lockdown, being part of the journey. <laughs> It's interesting that that was your introduction to this whole industry because my introduction to it was extremely similar. I had never, I was, I haven't been a gamer since I was a kid. And so I wasn't into the latest 3D anything, 3D glasses, none of that stuff. And none of this late, latest gaming headsets, none of the stuff from Meta, none of that stuff. I'd never used any of that stuff before. And I was actually at a digital conference. I can't remember which one it was, but it was in New Zealand when I still lived there. This is going back probably... 
it must, it was way before COVID. So it must be like five years mm. uh, or six years ago now, there was a 3D AR studio, development studio that was based in Christchurch. And they had a presentation, an entire room set up. It was actually in the gymnasium of this because it was it held at Auckland Uni. This is where this conference was held. Mm. And they were doing their presentation in the Auckland Uni gym. And but the thing that struck me wasn't so much seeing how they wore these 3D VR bodysuits and then they did the body tracking and all that sort of stuff. That wasn't the thing that impressed me. The thing that impressed me the most is they had a poster outside the gymnasium that was AR integrated. And so you could just pick up your phone. You could just put it, you could just hold it over with the camera. You could just hold it over the, over the poster and the poster came to life. It literally, yeah. they had this, it was basically an animated character that leapt off the poster and was talking to you and telling you about this event that this yeah. poster was advertising. And I thought right then and there, I thought, okay, I don't know how, and I don't know when, but somehow, some way, this is going to change the face of media forever. This is going to change how we engage with 2D static anything. And yeah. we're all of a sudden, this is now going to be a level of engagement that we could only dream about previously without it being literally on a 3D TV screen with 3D glasses. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff in that sort of, well, that is the basis of what we've done the first couple of years anyway. We're all around augmented reality and bringing things to life in ways that that make a difference. So one of the one of the challenges of augmented reality is right now it's still a novelty. It's still a thing that people they like to look at, they like to show their friends and say, this is really cool. And that's where it stops. Literally where it stops. And that's a barrier at the moment. That's the only barrier, I think. But we went down this pathway and said, okay, we if you look at products, if we look at consumer goods, there are some consumer goods which are high interest and wine's a good example and alcohol's a good example. And they have other ones which are very low interest, toothbrushes and things like that. But where there is high interest and where there is consumers wanting to engage or wanting to find information or be entertained or the likes, how could we transform that product? And that's where we've come to market with a product here called Display. And the concept behind it is that if we pick it, just any product here, a consumer will pick up the product and they can scan the product, literally just scan the product there. And then it comes to life with augmented reality. And by coming to life, what I mean is that the surface of the product will animate. That's sort of one example. We've got a whole heap of different ways that it can come to life. And what a really good example we've got here is we've got a hologram concept where you scan the product. We'll say you've got a box there and it looks as though it's empty. Even though you're holding a full box in front of you, it looks as though it's empty and up pops a hologram of a person who can then talk to you. And so we put together a prototype of that to show, I think it was Bayer Pharmaceuticals. And we had a, a woman there talking about the product and then you could press a button and she spoke in Spanish and she could say anything there. And so that, that's where you start getting value here. And that's where you start taking it from something that's a bit fun to something which could offer value. You know, we went a step further there and said, okay, if I'm a consumer, I'm going to open up and scan a product and someone tells me a little bit of information. That's pretty cool. That's all. There's be more to it than that. So we built it in a way where there was, there was up to five scenes. So a consumer can look at the box and say, oh, look, it's telling me information. Then they can swipe and then something else comes up and they can swipe again. And then this box is transferred forming into these amazing looking visuals where it's all sliding and coming to life. It's literally, you're looking at it like as if it's got a screen on the package or on the sides of the package, but you can use that then to be you know, doing lots of things. Coffee companies are the good examples where you can have a really cool animation come up because you want it for the brand. And then it's, the consumer slides across and you start to talk about product provenance and where it comes from and the people behind it. 
and you're sliding across and you're talking about sustainability and the packaging and the likes there. And then sliding across and someone pops up who's perhaps a celebrity or someone well-known in the industry or the likes. And so this was all about then, okay, now we're turning the product into a source of its own, and this is the whole thing, source of its own engagement, whether it's information or whether it's entertainment or whether it's just something that I want to look at, it, it's extending the value and extending the sort of the, the power or the reach of a product for consumers. And, and that's been quite fundamental to what we've done. And that's where the interest comes because it's not just a cool thing that pops up. It's a cool thing and then bits and pieces to it. And in the version we've got, every one of those scenes has a call to action button that a brand can actually link to a web page. So if you want to get a, someone interested in your product provenance and they can click the click button and it takes them through to whatever page you want to take them to. So you're starting, you're bringing consumers into the product. You're giving them information or entertainment, whatever you want to call it. And then you're leading them and telling them the story and then leading them back out again. And, and that's been quite a powerful tool. I think it's still an area that will develop greatly, but it's really quite powerful for consumers. And the video that you sent to me was pretty interesting in that it combined the concept of almost like an AI chatbot and this AR experience where you had this cold, this box of Colgate toothpaste, you hold that up in front of your, in front of your phone, you, you basically open up the experience and all of a sudden you can interact from a Q&A perspective. You can ask questions about this product directly yeah. in the A augmented reality experience. And I think that merging of this concept of advanced AI chatbots and historically pre-large language models, AI chatbots are pretty, I wouldn't call them smart bots, I'd call them dumb bots, but they're definitely getting better by the day for sure. And I think when you start to marry some of the AI technology that's advancing very rapidly, and we can talk about AI hallucination and everything else, and we can get to that. But I think that we're now starting to get to a place of maturity of XR combined with AI, that this is going to become pretty transformational for the customer journey, regardless of where the customer chooses to engage with your brand or your product first, whether that's in yep. a physical space, whether that's in a digital space, whether that's, whether that's through your digital TV, your virtual screen, it doesn't really matter. We're going to have experiences that are native to those viewports or to those touch points, we're going we're gonna to create experiences that are 100% native there. And I think that was it the 13, is it 13 criminals wine or whatever it was, whatever that, that wine Not, you were talking about crops. was. That's it. I've actually seen that wine. I've seen that wine here in Mexico. I've seen that wine in the States. I've seen that wine like all over the world. And clearly when, particularly I think when you're expanding internationally as they have, I think being able to tell an indigenous story. Now, when I say indigenous, the local story, story yeah. behind the brand. And I wish, so for example, I'm into bourbon, right? I love my Maker's Mark. I love my Buffalo Trace. I love a really nice, high quality bourbon that has a story behind it. I know that I'm drinking a glass of history every single time I drink it. And people that are into scotch yeah. think the same thing. People that are into tequila think the same thing. But the packaging is pretty as it is sometimes. It is not nearly as engaging as, for example, when I go to YouTube and I watch Matthew McConaughey and his mm. short infomercial about his engagement with Wild Turkey and the sub-brand that he's helped create with the guys over at Wild Turkey. And it's like a 15-minute, for lack of a better term, effectively infomercial about mm. how he came to be associated with this product. And it's super engaging. He's, of course, Matthew McConaughey is a master storyteller. It's got amazing visuals. He's actually in the distillery. He's sitting down with the guys next to a stack of casks. It's super yep. engaging and fun, but you actually have to go out of your way. If you want to engage with that, I've got to put down the bottle. 
I got to go to my phone or my laptop. I got to go to YouTube. I got to find the video and then I got to consume the video. Now, if I could activate that entire experience directly on the bottle and engage, basically just hold my phone up to the bottle and get immersed into that experience immediately without five steps in between, the chances that I'm going to consume that content are like a hundred times as much. And it's yeah. going to make me feel an emotional connection to the brand in ways I wouldn't other, uh, any other way. Yeah, we very strongly believe that. Everything you've said there is bang on the mark. You can certainly see, you can certainly see a future, a very near future, where it's intuitive. Consumers realize that the quickest and easiest way to get information or find out anything or read the story of the product is to just scan it. It's in front of me and I know it's there and scan it. And, and it might be a different story every week or it might be different information every week. You know that the source of information is always going to be right. If I click that, if I scan that product, I can go and Google that product and I can see something and find it's five years old and I've read it, but that product is going to be bang on. All, all of a sudden, excuse me, all of a sudden the product becomes the source of its own truth and entertainment and engagement. And and whether whether it's playing the content as part of the label like augmented reality does and it's cool, or whether it just leads you to then see the YouTube clip, it is it becomes the source. And that changes everything for packaging and for consumers as well. The power though also is for brands because brands are then getting to see the engagement they're having with the uh, with the product. They're seeing how many people are checking in with it, how powerful is this as a as a um as a tool to drive engagement. And then you hit upon the AI side of things. And if I can talk to that for a minute here, we've experimented with effectively chatbots for a long time. We've got a clip on YouTube from 2019 with us effectively trying to turn a product into a chatbot. And it's very, it's pretty good. I'll give it that. It's a bit unbecoming. Also, I have a problem here. It does a bit of a clunky job, but we've now incorporated the sort of large language model around it so that a product can become the source of its own information and truth. Now, that mightn't be what you need on, on the wine bottle, but it might be when you're looking at buying a new car. And if you can scan the brochure or you can scan the car itself and then ask any question and get the information, then that becomes a powerful tool. And particularly when that information then can be transferred to a sales team, any means, or you can ask for the sale directly. And that's clearly what we're, we're going for here. So we've, you know, the example that you saw on YouTube was effectively Luke, one of our team here, and he's scanning a packet of toothpaste or dog food. I can't remember. We've got a couple of different ones out there and he's asking questions. He's simply just verbally saying, can I give this, can I give this dog food to a large dog or a small dog? And then he follows it with a bit more difficult question. Like my dog has arthritis. Is this uh, dog food suitable for it? And then I think we ask a third question, the ridiculous one, could I bake this in a pie and give it to my grandma? That sort of thing. Just to, just to test or just to show, I suppose, that we've put a lot of effort into the protocols and the scrutiny around what information has to be given out in that sort of circumstance. But you can see the power here of that now the product really has become the source of its own truth, which is where we're at the moment with the product side of things anyway. It feels like the physical product becomes the window that you access all more information of any variety. It becomes almost like this transparent pane of glass as opposed to this solid physical object that you can't see through that you can't really it's in an inanimate object it it takes this inanimate object and makes it feel so much more animated engaging two-way conversational it it makes it feel like this thing comes to life the physical product literally comes to life in your hand and that is the thing i think that's going to make these these flat feeling objects much more lifelike 
And mm. I think we're pretty getting pretty close to the time when it feels like we're bridging the uncanny valley here, where all of a sudden now every every single object is net connected and net enabled and net smart. Yep. And all of a sudden now we're interacting with these inanimate objects and these virtual avatars. But I think that's probably a little bit further in the future, but there's some very practical applications of this technology. And if we go back to the bottle of bourbon, for example, it, it then allows a brand to pretty easily and pretty cheaply A-B test how they present information on the bottle or multivariate yep. test. They could have five different versions of the back of the bottle, for example, that presents yep. this additional story in a different way. And in all of them, you could engage with it further by using your phone. But let's see which design wins out because now we are going to know immediately. We're going to know literally within, within two months of releasing that packaging, we're going to know which one of those five variants is the most engaging mm -hmm. packaging. We might yeah. have multiple designers on staff. We might have people that uh, the boss might say, that's my favorite design. And the designer might say, that's my favorite design. That I think that one's going to be the most engaging. Let's actually put it out there and let's find out. Mm -hmm. Let's not assume that either of us know what our customers actually want. Let's assume neither of us know. And let's assume that the customer knows best and let's trial it. Let's try five different styles and let's find out. And that to yep. me feels like we're now infusing digital intelligence into what has historically been a very boring aspect of getting products onto a shelf. And in fact, when we think of product packaging, nine times out of 10, particularly from a CPG good perspective, it is designed A, to take up as much shelf space as possible so you get as much frontage to display yep. your wares. But two, how can we stack as much of that physical product into a space as possible? So in the case of a tube of toothpaste, if you just stack tubes of toothpaste without the box on the shelf, you're not going to mm -hmm. get very many of them on the bloody shelf. So now we've got this standardized, you know, rectangular long box because mm -hmm. you can stack them up. You can have them end out. You can have them front face out. You can have them out. You can have them stacked in 10 different ways. And th mm -hmm. the reality is, is lots of packaging decisions are designed for utility in, at the point of sale, not necessarily, necessarily utility for the consumer. And yeah. so now I think all of a sudden we can start thinking about the consumer with that packaging as opposed to just the utility of it at point of sale. Hey team, I get messages all the time saying, Jason, I really love your content, loving the podcast, loving everything you're doing for the community, but I want to learn more. I want to dig deeper. I want to get better at this e-commerce thing. Well, luckily my good friend, Michael Vax from Commerce is Digital has come out with a solution for exactly these situations. He has come out with training courses for B2B commerce, B2C commerce, and AI and commerce. Michael knows his stuff. He's been in the game for decades. He's worked across uh, brands as well as platform vendors. He really knows his stuff. He has been so generous to offer e-commerce edge listeners a 10% discount. When you follow my link from the show notes to his courses, I'll put the links to the B2B, B2C and AI commerce courses in the notes. Follow that through, sign up for his courses and get upskilled on e-commerce today. Yeah, yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because packaging does serve all these different purposes. Some of the inquiries we've had about using the technology is along the lines of how can I draw more people to the brand in the supermarket? But that's been a very small one. The bigger ones have been how can I tell the story to a consumer who might look at this at home and then get drawn closer to the brand and share it on social. And the other one we've had, which is really interesting, is I don't want to say this the wrong way, but having this technology might allow us to 
put less terms and conditions on the packaging and use music more for marketing space, but still cover off the legal aspect of addressing whatever. Of the information we need to communicate. Uh, it's, it's almost when you're on a website and it says, click here for our privacy policy or uh, click here for our T's and C's or whatever it might be. Now, instead of actually having the T's and C's directly on the packaging in full, now we say view here with your phone to see the T's and C's or whatever it might be. Yeah, it's very much along those lines. That's very much been an interesting point of view that we we didn't really see that as being a big driver, but it's actually offered a lot of value to a brand. It's offered value. It's not getting in front of consumers, but it's offering value. And that that's then brings in the whole AI side of things. If an AI can provide all this information to anyone who wants it, then you've got to make sure that the AI is bang on target with what it's saying. What 100% has to be, has to be 100% right. It can't get it wrong. It can't give bad information. Which is, and we spent a lot of time on that, getting that right. And I think we've, we've absolutely nailed it now. Yeah. And so how does your, from a technical perspective, presumably we've got to plug your technology first and foremost, let's say they've got a help desk knowledge base. We've got to pull in that information. Then if they've got a, an ERP and or a PIM system, a product information management system, uh, we've got to pull in products and product attributes from those systems. We have to have all of those in presumably your system or ready access via API to your systems in some way so that you have an intelligent experience that you're backing up the interface. You're providing effectively the interface technology that allows the person using their standard Android or iPhone to interface yep. with this packaging. You're providing the, I guess, I'm guessing the imagery or whatever it is that needs to activate that on the packaging. You're providing yep. that or you pre-program it to do a certain action when it sees, say, the brand on a package or something like that. So can you explain to me the technical yeah. underpinnings of how this technology gets implemented? Yes, we're using AI to, to recognize product packaging, to, to actually recognize that is the product packaging and that's the size and that's the shapes. And that then activates voice activation so you can ask a question about that product and the AI system will understand that you're talking about that product, but it will also have the context of the product range, the variety of products there. And that's important. I'll come back. It's built in a way that it, then exactly as you said, it's drawing on the knowledge that's provided by the brand the, of the product. And that's really important because the lazy way to do a, to do an AI system is to just go what information is out there on the web and just rely on that. And it'll talk about it. You can get something from 10 years ago. You could tell anything to anyone from you. It'd be a disaster if you went down that pathway. So this is effectively drawing all of that information, finding out what information amongst that is most relevant. But then it also has the background of information, I suppose, the common sense that comes into chatbots. They have that level of common sense because if you're AI and you've read every internet, every page on the web, you know that you don't put dog food in a pie for grandma. You can answer that without any reference to the brand, but you can't rely on that. So we're pulling in information from the brand, we're finding the most relevant stuff and then the AI forms opinion, but there's a lot more to it than that because we've got to have a lot of really clear directives about how to answer things, how to answer particular questions. If someone says this product's cheaper than that product, I, as a, from a legal point of view, I don't want to say that product's trash, you should use this one. You know, so you've got to cover all those bits and pieces. We've got to cover off the sides of things where could AI ever give advice to someone that could cause someone terrible sickness or a bad outcome because of this sort of covered off all that as well. So there's directives and there's, for want of a better term, pushes where you're actually saying head in that direction. And then there's really hard guardrails to say that you can never let anything out that, that causes anyone harm. But that's still only part of the deal. So we'll get it to a situation where we think this is bang on. But then the testing that you go through then is effectively to create the 5,000 most likely questions you'll get asked, put it to it, and then check 
the veracity of those, those answers. Are they right? Are they wrong? Have we got any problems here? And then to create a thousand of the most ridiculous questions you can think of, because you know they're coming, and, uh, and check how they're answered, and then modify and refine and refine. So there's a little bit to it. But by the time you get to the end of it, you can be, I can be fairly so, certain that it'll get it right. It'll get it wrong one in 10 million if you really try to trick it. But you're really trying to trick it and say something really stupid that anyone with common sense absolutely knows is wrong. A really good example of where we got it to with the, uh, the dog food, how it looks at the moment, the one we did the other day, if you asked, and the question was, yeah, my dog has arthritis, is this good for the dog? We initially said it so that if you asked that question or any question, it would always give pretty much the dead on the same answer. But now we're given a little bit of range to, to, to variations of it. And it surprised us the other day and 99 times out of a hundred, it said, yes, this is good for arthritis and dogs with arthritis. And the one time it comes back and said, yes, but we've got other products in the range. One of which is specifically for arthritis. You should check out this. And that was wonderful. That was really cool because then you're getting, you're getting recommendation based on intelligence. And so we're exploring that more now to see how far can you take this? Yeah, look, it's, it, it looks so simple when it comes out the other end with AI and there's a lot that goes into it. There's a lot that we're relying on to language models, but that sort of directive and all those bits and pieces there, I think we've nailed it now. So now we're actually going, the applications of this are well beyond just products in the supermarket. And in fact, products in the supermarket might not be the best solution for this. One, one of the other angles here, you know, some, sorry, I'll just keep talking as I get excited about this. this yeah, we've brought together, we've brought together AR and AI in different ways. And one of the, one of the prototypes we have at the moment is with augmented reality, being able to present a model of a 3D object on the ground, which is, which has been done before many times it's been done before. And you can imagine you're interested in the latest car model that's been released and clicking on a button on the screen, actually being able to see the car in 3D real size and be able to walk around it and even walk through it and see what the dash looks like, really cool stuff. But then there's AI associated with it. And now you can actually say, hang on, what are the colors and, and what are the features and what are the accessories without having to look through a brochure. But on top of that, you can say, I've got the old model. Is this better than the old model? Why would I like this better than the old model? And get information that's really genuine and it's going to be correct and you know it's going to be correct. And that's really powerful stuff for a consumer to actually be able to go, look, I can get everything I need here to be able to make a decision really without being without feeling pushed into a corner with the salesman, I'll be, I'll be 98% armed before I go into the showroom and try it. And on the other end of the scale though, the brands, they've got access to that information. I can see that you've asked 63 questions about this car, of which the last one was, what do I have to do to get one now? And that's a really powerful thing for a sales team to actually go, hang on, someone's they're looking at this and they've got this information. And so you can see the power of this. You can see exactly where this is. Headings. This is a tremendous uh, opportunity in, in e-commerce at a big scale. I always think of the mines out here in Australia, and you know that they need the bulldozers from Caterpillar, and there's there's probably fifty different versions. Someone will work that out really quickly, asking the right questions, or maybe not asking the right questions. Maybe just saying, "I'm in a mine. I need a caterpillar to move a mound of dirt. What do you recommend?" And they're probably going to get better advice than they get from anyone in the mine site. Maybe even from a salesperson. And then if I go a step further than that. If you're a brand or a product owner, you're going to find the blind spots very quickly. You're going to find that hundreds of clients or customers are asking this question about this thing over here that we haven't even addressed in, in the product or in the marketing materials. That gets fed back into AI so we can answer it in the best possible way if it's not being answered. Sort of, yeah. And so you've got that covered and then your marketing team knows, hang on a minute, we really overlooked something here. We've got to get that message out into the consumer world 
through this means or that means or any other means. The power here is, is tremendous. Every time I see something we release, it just, it just blows me away. It really does. And so could we think if we were to distill down kind of your V1, which is what you're at now of your tech, could we think of your technology as visual AI, a visual AI chatbot with an AR? It doesn't have to be AR, but at the moment it's primarily an AR interface that is the trigger for the visual AI chatbot, that this is a chatbot that has a visual awareness through machine vision, for example, mm-hmm. so that we know when we're looking at a certain thing, it's going to trigger the chatbot. We're going to have the interaction with the chatbot like we would with any good high quality AI chatbot that's plugged into a good proprietary data set. Yep. And then from there, we can trigger off other experiences if we so desire on top of that. Yeah. And yeah, so think of exactly that. We're firing off something, as you said, with image recognition, we're talking to a AI chatbot, a really quite advanced one. And then we can trigger off more augmented reality things of placing 3D objects on the ground in real size. And we can look at them. We can investigate it visually. We can ask every question we want to know about it and look from a buying decision point of view, that's in a car case, that's everything other than driving. It really is. And I guess the beauty of this also, from what I could see from your video, correct me if I'm wrong, is that instead of me having to tap on my screen, I literally just talk to the AI verbally into my phone, just like I'm talking to an operator on the other end of the line. And I speak to it and it gives me answers back, whether it be, I guess it's up to the brand, whether they want those answers to be verbal or simply type on the screen and present it on the screen as text or sent them to a specific link on a web page or whatever it might be, yeah. you will set the rules and the boundaries up from there in terms of the conversational experience design. But you guys effectively facilitate the end-to-end experience through the visual AI and the AR interface. Yeah, yeah. And that's pretty much it. And and yeah, that is pretty much it. I was going to add more to that, but it pretty much is it. That's exactly what we're doing here. <laughs> Thank you. I look, obviously, I'm not the expert in this space like you guys are. I've never built anything in this space, but I try to connect the dots between some of the things I've seen before myself and witnessed and experienced and connect those dots to, okay, what? how could we orientate all of this great stuff into how can we integrate that seamlessly into the entire end-to-end customer journey and all of the touch points along the way? Because no two consumers take the exact same path to purchase. They take similar paths to purchase, but it's never identical. And so therefore, how can we insert the right experiences and the right technology and the right feelings that we're generating through these touch points? How can we make them feel the way we want them to feel at each one of those points? Because at the moment, there's a huge, I would say the vast majority of touch points with the brand knows nothing about. They don't even, mm. they don't even know those touch, they don't even know those touch points are happening, right? Yeah. So yep. for example, going back to that bourbon video again, they don't know, a brand might know, okay, cool. Wild Turkey might know that 5 million people have watched this Matthew McConaughey YouTube video, but they don't necessarily know at what point in the customer journey they've done that or yeah. that, they, that it's even, that it's even been part of a customer journey. So in other words, they don't know. If I've, I'm standing in the supermarket, I'm looking at this bourbon bottle. It's got Matthew McConaughey's face on it. I pick up my phone. I type in the name of the bourbon followed by Matthew McConaughey. Oh God. Okay. There's a YouTube video. Cool. I'm standing in the store. I'm looking at this YouTube video. Oh, cool. Sounds good to me. And I grab the bourbon and I walk out, I'll walk out with it or that I've already got the bloody bourbon. I'm at home. I'm having a tipple. And then I pull up the video while I'm holding the bourbon in my hand. They, those are two very different experiences. And those are 
in the former, the video actually influenced the purchase. In mm. the latter, it maybe reinforces some mm. brand affinity that then is going to create more loyalty, depending on where in the journey I viewed that video and yeah. the action it's created. Those are the types of things that brands simply do not know today, but it's like some of the most valuable data they could ever own. Yeah. And look, I don't pretend to have all the answers to exactly how this technology will be used. I, th I think those points are so valid. And I know there'll be people, marketers coming along saying, no, we, we're going to try in one part of the world, we're going to try use this content, which is all about trying to win a sale at the point. Another one, we're going to tell storytelling over here, and we're going to measure what's happening here and find out. Like, literally, as you say, A-B testing, all those bits and pieces with different ways. But yeah, you're right. It's opening up so much data in really, not just data, but insightful data, really insightful data where you can go, I can see that these people are spending time here doing this, and I can see the interaction here. So I, I really believe this is, you know, absolutely the future. And I thought we were on the cusp of the future at the start of the year when AI really started to spring up. And now I know we're absolutely on the cusp. Of it. We're there now and we're just rolling it out trying to get out from our COVID homes. Listen, Dave, it has been absolutely magical talking to you. We're now at the stage of our conversation together where I get to flip the script. I get to hand over the microphone to you. And I get to let you ask me one question, any question you like, can be personal, can be professional, can be whatever you like. Dave Chaffee from Immersia, what is your question for me today? Yeah, I want to know your journey to get into what you're doing right now. Like what led you down this pathway to get into the podcasting side of things? I find podcasting fascinating. I've never quite had the time or inspiration or, or the nows or the ability to podcast. And I always wonder how people... You know, how you actually one day just go, I'm going to do this. Like, where is the journey here? Look, that is such an awesome question. And I love the way you asked it. Look, there's two prongs to this for me. One is I wanted to have conversations with super smart people without them feeling like I was trying to sell them something. And oftentimes when you reach out and you DM someone, and you say, hey, I'd love to sit down and have a virtual coffee with you and shoot the breeze about e-commerce or digital, or whatever it might be. Their immediate assumption is, oh, he's trying to sell me. I'm going to, I'm just going to say no, thanks very much, but no thanks, or immediately block him because he's a crazy person. And so uh, having a podcast opens doors to having really deep, meaningful conversations with mm. super smart people that I just, they would say no every single time and twice on Sunday. And so it opens up doors to me that I just couldn't, short of going maybe to an event and having those conversations at an event, a conference, mm. whatever, I wouldn't be able to have these conversations. That's the mm. first thing. The second thing is, uh, I think that there's a tremendous amount of knowledge out there in the industry that is not getting exposed. And yes, look, there's, there's probably 50 amazing e-commerce podcasts out there, but none of them were doing it the way I wanted to do it. And none of them were covering some of the topics that I thought were important and I thought needed to be in the world. And none of them were really asking the questions in maybe the format or the depth that I wanted to ask them. And certainly not through my lens of 20 years of doing this. And so I guess I just didn't see any, and look, I love a lot of those podcasts that are out there and I listened to many of them, but there was just a gap. I felt, okay, somebody needs to do this because it's not happening yet. Okay. Instead of complaining about it, I just need to put my hand up and say, okay, I'm going to be the guy that does it. And so that's really, that's the two pronged approach of how I landed here, to be perfectly honest. Yeah. Wow. It must've been quite an interesting starting point. Like, how do you, I, I need to follow up question here. How do you start? Like, what do you do? You buy your equipment and go, now what do I do? Yeah. And look, there was absolutely, without a doubt, some trial and error. When I first started out with the podcast, it was a solo podcast, basically just my musings, recording my face, recording me talking about specific topics, and then uploading it to my, my, my podcast host, which is Podbean. 
and then just letting it go from there. I found that it was more difficult to be consistent when I didn't have accountability to talking to other people. So one, all of a sudden, once you start doing an interview type podcast, now you've got people booked in, you've got time commitments, mm. you've, you've got a cadence, you've got a committed schedule that you're going to be releasing on. You then potentially at some point maybe start taking on sponsors. So all of a sudden they expect you to be releasing with consistency. And so I, I think that there was some accountability aspects of this that led me to move away from a solo podcast where it's just me talking at the screen and pontificating to, hey, I want to actually have conversations because I don't know it all. Like I know a fair bit, but I certainly don't know it all. And I certainly don't know it all about everything. And so getting subject matter experts in to have those conversations forced me to be accountable to them and to the audience with a really super consistent cadence. And then it's only been in the last six months, eight months that I added the mentorship sessions to the podcast as so I started out with just one episode a week then I realized geez actually there's such great learnings that are coming out of my free mentorship programs those mm. need to be spread to a wider audience then I realized hey there is not a lot of b2b talk going on out there around b2b mm. e-commerce there's just and there's that's such a deep specialization that this needs more airtime so I introduced the Wednesday podcast which is dedicated to b2b e-commerce and so that's, it's really been an organic evolution over the last six years. And I've really only been serious about the podcasting thing and consistent for the last two. And now up over 200 episodes, they say that pod fade kicks in normally at not something like 98% of podcasts never get past episode 20. So I'm now mm. more than 10 times beyond that. So yeah. I think yeah. I've cracked the nut of consistency that hopefully I'll be able to stick with it indefinitely at this stage. I love it though. I love, I love these conversations. I yeah. love speaking with super smart people like you who are doing great things and creating great things in the world. And I love putting those up on a pedestal and letting the world hear about those things and shouting yeah. it from the rooftops. Well, I really appreciate you inviting me along here. I really do. Look, I've absolutely loved it myself. Now, what is the best way, I guess, first off, you're presumably a SaaS platform. Like, how do you charge? I'm guessing that most of these implementations are pretty bespoke. How do you make your money? And then secondarily, how do people find out about you if they want to talk to you about Immersia? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, let me answer that second one first. First, find me at Immersia.io. It's Immersia.io. Or find me on LinkedIn, Dave Chappie. You'll find me. Got a remarkably memorable head that's not particularly pretty. But the second one, in terms of the cost, in terms of the cost, we, I know it sounds bespoke, but we're trying to bring this down into a level where the cost is as low as possible to get this out to scale. So the augmented reality concept without the AI, if we just put that aside for the moment, there, we really set out to the market for product manufacturers at no cost set up and you pay $99 a month for a product to be on there. Like literally, rather than the $20,000 or the $50,000 or the $100,000, we're literally trying to get that out there with no barriers to entry. So just make it as cheap as possible. The AI side of things, we're just trying to get that business model, that, that costing exactly right at the moment. We, this is all quite new and we're bringing it together. But it's going to be based on the same thing. It's going to be based on getting this to market at scale and uh, without the barriers to entry. So this won't be something where brands are ringing us up and it's hundreds of thousands of dollars. It'll be something that you can truly afford and the biggest brands and the smallest brands and that brings you the value that pay. So stay tuned. On wow. That. Love it. Love it. Look, Dave Chaffee, thank you very much for coming on to the pod, sharing all about this visual AI and AR experience that you guys are in the process of creating over at Immersia. I'll put all the links to you and your URL, your website and everything all in the show notes. So everybody knows where to find you. Thank you so much for 
sharing all of your knowledge and experience with me today. It's been a, an absolute pleasure to speak with another, another man from down under. I l- absolutely love it. So really super appreciate it and hope to get you on again soon. Are you a B2B or D2C e-commerce merchant? Then head over to greenwoodconsulting.net to learn how we can help you scale your business.